Hi, I'm Jim Shockey, and you're listening to Outdoor Adventures with Jason Podcast. Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond. I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Racks, offering the coolest bow hanger on the market. Display your bow with pride in your house, your garage, or anywhere you'd like. We carry most major brands while also offering a custom service if you have an idea or logo of your own that you'd like made into a hanger. Use them to display your traditional bow, compound bow, or even your crossbow. They also work great for hanging your hunting gear, your bags, or hats. Not to mention the design just looks plain awesome all by themselves. A Rax hanger makes for a great gift for that special hunter in your life. Go to RaxInc.com to see some of the available designs or contact us to discuss the custom hanger of your own. For listeners of the Outdoor Adventures with Jason podcast, use the promo code PODCAST and get 15% off your first order. Rax, show off your passion. DTO Optics wants to be your optics provider. They offer rugged and dependable rifle scopes, binoculars, spotting scopes, and rangefinder options. You'll find big name quality optics at little name prices. DTO Optics is your value-based optics company providing awesome customer service, a 30-day love it or your money back guarantee, and a lifetime warranty. Check out DTO Optics online at dtooptics.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Buck Fever Synthetics, the premier attractant company, making not only the finest whitetail synthetic attractants, but also scents for elk, moose, bear, and hog hunters. Use with Buck Fever's Vanishing Hunter to reduce your scent and see the difference. Put out Buck Fever year-round to have the animals coming in. It crystallizes in dry soil and reactivates with moisture, and it never spoils. It simply works. Go to BuckFeverUSA.com to see the full line of Buck Fever Synthetics. Make bucks hunt you. Proudly made in America. Welcome to this episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Today I've got Rich Wilson on the line. Rich is creator of the popular both Facebook page and YouTube channel, Death by Bungie. How I came across Rich was I did a search for Excalibur Axiom crossbows on YouTube and Rich's videos popped up and I said, well, geez, if he's shooting them like I am, he must be a pretty good guy. So I reached out and Rich, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here, Jason. Well, tell me, have you been crossbow hunting for a long time? What was the the idea behind uh, Death by Bungie? Not an awful long time, to be honest with you. I mean, it's all relative, right? But Pennsylvania legalized the crossbow as a hunting implement back in 2009. And it was legal and it wasn't legal. And they were talking about, you know, following suit with a lot of other states and making it a legal hunting implement. And finally, in 2010, they made it a permanent fixture. So I went out and actually, in preparation for that season, went out and bought this crossbow, bought Bungie, the Excalibur Axiom. I just I did a little research at the time. Crossbows around that time, 300 feet per second was cutting edge. It was 300 feet was the new 250, I would say. So I purchased that crossbow, spent a lot of time working with it, researching it, watching what videos were available at the time. And... I really took to it. I, I was successful my first season here in Pennsylvania, went out, shot a buck my first archery season with the crossbow in 2010, been hooked on it ever since. It was such a transition for me as a kid that grew up ever since the 1980s hunting with a rifle, hunting deer with a rifle here in Pennsylvania. 
which is a totally different scenario. In Pennsylvania, we push deer, we have deer drives, that sort of thing. That's how I grew up doing that. This was a solitary venture where you're sitting in a tree stand using calls and trying to understand deer behavior. And I really took to it because it was a totally different experience for me. And I just, I loved doing it. So, and, and how, you know, when you when I started the YouTube channel, the reason I started that was because filming is a is a hobby of mine as well, and making videos was a hobby of mine. Working with computers and doing music and all that sort of thing is a is another hobby of mine, and it just seemed to make sense to combine the two. It worked out really well, I think. Yeah, very much so. I you know YouTube is that kind of rabbit hole you can go down, and I don't remember which was the first video I stumbled across. But next thing I know, I think I had six or eight of your videos watched. And I was like, wow, I think I'm about five hours into watching Death by Bungie. (laughs) I'm glad to hear it. I don't even have a name for my crossbow, but I feel like I need to go pick a name for it now. (laughs) But it was actually very interesting. And the reason I say that is with you and I shooting the same crossbow and having a fairly good idea of what some of the benefits and limitations are to it, uh, we see new crossbows coming out that are much, much higher in the price point, providing lighter weights, much faster speeds. You can shoot much lighter arrows with a little bit heavier broadheads or lighter broadheads. You can really adjust now to things that weren't available when you and I would have bought our Excaliburs. That's for sure. And I had a chance to shoot a very expensive crossbow just the other day. And well, the materials obviously feel nicer and it was lighter and not quite so front heavy as the crossbow that you and I have. I can't say it was worth because I think I maybe paid what what were the Axiom packages four hundred four hundred fifty dollars somewhere right in that neighborhood. If I remember correctly, mine was four or five hundred dollars, but that came with arrows, the quiver, you know, the scope, the whole bit, you know, cocking rope, the whole bit. You were set up to hunt for about five hundred bucks. Right. I can't see where these other crossbows at three and four times the price are that much better. Now, somebody's going to contact me and blast me for that, and that's fine. (laughs) Uh, But for the average person out there hunting, not 3D shooting, anything of that nature, yeah, it might be nice if you want to shoot maybe a little heavier broadhead or anything of that nature to go with a little bit faster speed. But my 300 foot per second in a good day will knock down just about anything in North America that I can think of. I I agree with you on that. I don't, you know, I think that I'm, how can I put this? I think I really am impressed with modern crossbow technology, and I'm anxious to see where it takes us and what accomplishments they can make in that field to make these new crossbows. But I think it's just as important, and one of the things I try to express with Death by Bungie, and, and to be honest with you, one of the reasons I, I don't upgrade is because, you know, I have an, an older, slower crossbow. I'm not sponsored by Excalibur. I'm free to go out there and buy whatever crossbow I want. And if I bought one today, it may or may not be an Excalibur. But I'm really happy with mine. It's simple enough and I'm familiar with it enough that I feel confident that I can make changes in the field, that I can make changes right before the season, during the season. I'm confident that this crossbow is going to do what I need it to do, what I want it to do. And like you said, I, you, you have to be aware of your limitations with that weapon and you have to be aware of whatever benefits are there and be able to understand that. So I feel a lot more confident when I go out and I think that's a big part of hunting. I spend less time worrying about my crossbow and more more time planning my hunting trips, more time planning my hunting outings and where I'm going to sit and where the deer are going to be and that sort of thing. And less time worrying about or, or practicing with or tweaking the crossbow. And that's important to me. Oh, huge. You know as well as I do, three, four shots on your Excalibur or really just about any crossbow, and you're going to feel fairly confident to go out and go hunting with it. 
hundred percent. In fact, this, this past summer, I bought a, a new scope and put a new scope on the crossbow because I've upgraded a little bit here and there. The scope, I bought one that was a little bit better in low light, that sort of thing. When I, I ratcheted that scope down there, put it on according to the instructions, and there's a video on our Death by Bunch of YouTube channel about that. When I put that scope in place, the first shot was almost perfect. Like a, It's that simple a piece of equipment to where I didn't have to worry about it, didn't have to play around with it. Right, and I took my, I bought a compound bow a year ago. Now a year later, I finally took it in this last weekend and had it uh, sighted in so I could practice with it. Mm-hmm. Shot 12 arrows, and what that told me in the sighting in process is you got to practice, 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 because I was right. all over the place. And that's a, a compound, a vertical bow? Yes. Yeah, now see, I have nothing but respect. I am a crossbow hunter only at this point, and that's just what I've chosen to do. And I have nothing but respect for people that can shoot compound bows. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't think that they're. I, I'm not suggesting that the people that spend that kind of devotion to it, that amount of practice hours that it takes to become proficient with that, is in any. I, I think that's just totally admirable. I kind of look at it though. You know, in the modern day, when we're trying to inspire more people to hunt, and you know, in my case, I simply never would have hunted with a compound bow. It's that simple. That's too much. I don't have the time commitment available to do that. Or if I did, I wouldn't have time to do the videos. That's for sure. Right. You know, because they take a lot of time too. So the crossbow for me was that way to extend your seasons, get out there without scaring the neighbors with the sounds of rifles going off all that kind of time. This is, it just lends itself to, uh, it's a less intrusive way to enjoy the woods and it has all the benefits of archery. And I admit, doesn't take the amount of time to become proficient with it. You still got to practice. Still got to get familiar with the weapon, like I was saying, but you don't have to spend the time that you do like you do with the compound bows, that's for sure. Yeah, and it's a much easier item to, I don't want to say master, but I think for people like yourself, like myself, that come into it, there's less intimidation that, because nobody that hunts wants an animal to run off wounded. Right. I think with the crossbow, it allows somebody to come in and start, as you said, extend your season without that fear that, well, I'm going to shoot the deer, you know, by mistake because I flinch in the rump or wherever. And all I'm going to do is wound that deer. I've got a much more control over what I'm doing. I agree. And that's, and that's important because you don't want people when they transition to a new weapon or if they come from being a non-hunter to being a hunter, you certainly don't want them going out there and wounding an animal, have to deal with that on the first outing. It's going to happen eventually, but I think the chances of correcting those issues are a lot greater with a crossbow, especially when you're first starting out. It's a lot easier to have a successful, joyful hunt with a crossbow, I think, if you're just starting out with it. Now, that's not to say that you don't have to sit down and understand the rules of archery, that you don't have to understand if you're coming from a rifle, that this is not just a rifle that shoots arrows. I think you still need to get that through people's heads. And I make videos about that because I wanted them to understand that. Um, That was something that, you know, you you look at it, oh, this is just, it's got a stock, it's got a barrel, it's got a trigger, it's it's a rifle, but it's not. No, it's far from it. It's far from it, exactly. I mean, you know, there's... Even a 270 has some kind of an arc to its barrel or to its bullet flight pattern, right? But with an arrow, I try to tell people, like, you're really just lobbing these arrows. You're not, you're not shooting them. <laughs> There's a real arc to them. And that arc, it's going to make a big difference in terms of accuracy, whether you're shooting at 10 yards, 20 yards, and 30 yards. And, you know, dialing in that accuracy, focusing on that accuracy, I think that's the key to success. I've, I try to express in those videos, accuracy is number one with crossbow hunting. And I think that once you express that to people, they can start to understand that that's what I got to focus on. So that, And then yardage becomes crucial. Got to understand distance. 
Right. And, you know, one of my first times I used my cross, well, I used my crossbow quite a bit, you know, on flat settings, flat terrains, shooting hogs in Texas, things of that nature. It wasn't until I went on a black bear hunt in Ontario, which you had mentioned before we started recording, was that I learned that little thing about when you're shooting from an elevated area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, I didn't come home with a bear because I kept oh, shooting right okay. under them. Sure. Okay. And uh, so it was really interesting as you start to factor some of that stuff in that with a rifle at the 25 yards I was away from the bear, the bullet drop would have been of no consequence. Right. With a crossbow at 25 yards, there's a big consequence. Yeah, and, 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 you know, a lot of rifle hunters don't even have experience hunting out of tree stands. I mean, when I grew up, I shot every deer I shot with a rifle I shot from the ground because it was just, you know, you had a, you're looking across the corner of a field or something like that or you're standing in a hedgerow, that sort of thing, and you're pushing or you're walking or whatever else. With That was something that took me a little bit to get my head around hunting out of a tree stand. There's no question about that. I really, to be honest with you, I prefer hunting out of a blind, but if it, certainly if you travel, you are lots of times you're going to be stuck hunting out of a tree stand, not stuck, but... You're going to have that opportunity is going to be come to you in the way of hunting out of a tree stand because that's the way my guide set it up. And certainly when I hunt a black bear, I'm hoping someday to go to Ontario. That's one of my short list hunts here that I want to do. And I do expect that that'll be taking place out of a tree stand. But uh, I think with, you know, anybody new to crossbow hunting, I would tell you two things about hunting out of a tree stand. One, you've got to have a, a more modern range finder, which interprets for you the vertical distance, not just the angle distance from the animal, from the target. Correct. Because it's the, it's the, it's the horizontal distance that's going to make all the difference. Gravity only affects aerial flight over a horizontal distance. So once you've got that figured out, it should be pretty accurate. And the other thing to do, get some familiarity. Um, this is one thing that I was fortunate enough to have done. Uh, get some familiarity hunting out of shooting at a target out of a tree stand. Ideally, a 3D target if you have. Like when I started out, I didn't have a 3D target, but I used a, a big old foam target, set that out there at, at 10 or 20 yards and spent an afternoon doing that to get familiar with it. And that kind of familiarity really helps. When we talk about these new crossbows, too, we were talking about that a little bit here. The problem with upgrading your crossbow every year, these they got these great crossbows that come out and where you can see that they're, uh, you know, they're really fast. They have all this great new technology. The problem for me is I'd be giving up that familiarity I have with this old crossbow that I already know what it, what it can do and what it can't do. And I don't have to relearn all of that. So, I mean, I feel pretty comfortable about it with it the way it is. And I think that, that it's that kind of practice. And that's where the practice comes in with crossbows is learning your crossbow, learning how everything about it so that you're not so in, in the field, it becomes second nature. Exactly. And, you know, you can dial in, you know, you could add a new scope on place, new broadheads. Uh, broadhead technology seems to be changing for something as ancient as a broadhead is. They seem to be changing it at a, a lightning pace. You got that right. Yeah. You know, same with a crossbow or a bow. Um, they stayed the same way for a thousand years and all of a sudden they just started ratcheting them up. So with what I want to really look at here for a little bit is your Death by Bungie YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting is you've got about 12,000 subscribers on it and you're really prolific at putting content out. And I like it because if somebody is brand new to crossbow hunting, I almost feel that they should go all the way back to your introductory episodes where you're brand new with it and work their way forward. They don't have to, but I think that's it's it's interesting to watch you evolve with your crossbow through your videos. I'm glad to hear that. You know, I, I 
I kind of had that hope for the channel when I started it, which was, you know, I, I end up, I get a lot of people ask me when I, when I shot my first deer of the cross, well, people are, it was new in Pennsylvania and all the people I talked to at work or where have you, where I talked to about hunting, they were like, well, how'd you do this? And what do you use for that? And what do you use for this? So I thought if they're asking these questions, a lot of other people are going to be asking these questions. So let's put that out there. And I try to express throughout the evolution of these videos that I'm not an expert. Again, I'm not sponsored by Excalibur. I don't have a great history of hunting with a crossbow. I'm just a guy that really took to it because it did well for me. And I wanted to share my ups and downs and what I learned with it with other people. So I'm glad to hear you say that, that it's been beneficial in that sense that you've got, might've got something out of it. And that's, you know, they can share that journey with me for sure. Anybody that's new to crossbow hunting, hopefully that stuff is serves that purpose. Well, and see what I, I like is I go back to say your, you know, you have your very first introductory video from about four years ago, and then you jump out and everybody at that point, let's say, has a crossbow that's watching the video. But their next question might be, well, I want to film my hunt. And you go right into stuff about how to put GoPros on your crossbow or whatever type of action camera you use. You know, you've got tree saws. Are they worth getting? And you just keep building up. And these are all logical questions, logical steps that that person that already has the crossbow might take. Because your, your videos really... Well, they're good for somebody that might be researching a crossbow. Since they don't make that particular bow anymore, they're really akin more to the person that's already made the decision to get a crossbow, and where am I going from there? Right. Death by Bungie is not a channel about reviewing products and telling you, like, this product is better than this one, and this bow performs this way or that way. I try to stay away from that because that stuff is short-lived. I mean, like we just said, there's a new crossbow every year, there's new technology every year. I remember when we hit 350 feet per second, what a big deal that was going back five, six years. And now we're hitting 400 feet per second. And if, you're, if your manufacturer doesn't shoot 400 feet per second or 420, you're kind of left in the dust you know, with a modern crossbow. So that stuff changes too fast. But the archery fundamentals, the crossbow fundamentals don't change. And I think they still have application no matter what new product you're using. I think they still have a purpose. I think it's still valuable information. So hopefully you're right. Yeah. Hopefully that stuff sticks around. And even if you're not shooting an older, slower crossbow, you still have, you know, that the day will come when speed, and I do have some videos talking about speed and what it can do and what it can't do and some misconceptions about it. Maybe the day will come when we've got such fast crossbows that that some of the content has to be updated on that, you know, and I'll, I will try to do that just not on a model by model basis. Well, and I notice as we get more into the current videos of yours, you've gone to a lot more live streaming is what you call it. A lot more, right. less editing, more just here's what you're going to get. That's probably not a, you know, I am going to continue to put up the edited videos. I don't have any desire. I, I like video editing. I like working with the software. I like shooting and filming with a camera and putting those videos together. It's extremely time intensive, however. I do intend to continue to post that kind of content. That's that's because that's my passion. You know, the live streaming, however, is, you know, the, the world's evolving. Crossbows are getting faster and technology's changing. So is the media, right? These podcasts like yours, um, I, we were talking a little bit before the show here, but I've in the last year or so, I've really picked up a lot of podcasts and now I'm subscribing to your podcast and I'll follow that and I'll be listening to it on a weekly basis, going back and forth to work. It's just another way to consume hunting-related media. And the live streams 
as you know, the, I, I'm going to continue to do the videos, but the live streams are something where I can have a set time, get on there and interact with people who have been following Death by Bungie. I call them friends of Bungie. Uh, people who follow Death by Bungie can get on there and interact with me. I can answer questions, talk to them in real time. And it's just a really enjoyable thing. It's the thing I look forward to every week, and I get the sense a lot of other people do too. But I, I don't want them to replace the edited style of video either. But we'll see how it goes. It's just something that as it evolves as we go forward, that's what we'll do. Now I remember why I found your why how I found your channel. It wasn't the Axiom that I was searching. It was the Tacticam mm-hmm. 5.0. Really? Okay. That's, okay. that's how I found your channel. Because I remember I was looking at the Tacticam 5.0, and that's the first video of yours that I watched. See, and that's a, that's a good example of how I try to, uh, how I'll probably be updating the content of the channel over the years as time goes by. When I first started, I, you know, wanted, I was looking for a way to attach a GoPro camera to the crossbow. Now, the GoPro cameras have that wide angle view, not necessarily the best for a weapon-mounted camera, but they were the best at the time. And, you know, adapting that with a more modern Tacticam, something that's designed specifically for that purpose, is a good example of how to update the content on the, the YouTube channel and how it can reflect new stuff without even, you know, not buying a new crossbow. We're just updating some of the gadgets that we take afield with us. Right, and it allows you to repurpose those GoPro cameras, which are still fine. Right, right. They do a great job, in my opinion, as a sort of a wide-angle uh, security camera view. I call it the field cam. I always have it set back behind me. I try to anyway, and have a view of the hunting area so you can tell that picture when you are posting your hunting video when you're sharing it with people. You can show them not just the view of you shooting the animal, but also what's the overall situation look like? What does that hunting setup look like? You're right. They do have a. They still have a good purpose. I believe it might have been your declining hunting numbers live stream that you did. I and it may not. I might attribute something to you that wasn't on yours, but so correct me. But it, I saw this vid, was watching one where it was talking about declining hunting numbers, and then the crossbow comes onto the field, and the bow hunters all have a fit saying it's going to decimate deer populations. There's going to be too many hunters in the woods. And all it right. really did was get the numbers back up to what they had been maybe eight, ten years before that. 100% true. Yeah, Pennsylvania is a good example of that. You know, you really don't have to look any further than Ohio, first state to legalize the crossbow for deer hunting, or at least that's my understanding. And that was 20, 25 years ago, whenever it was. And it's, you know, they still have great hunting in Ohio. Nobody lacks for deer in Ohio. Okay, we've got other issues affecting deer hunting, but not, certainly it's not the crossbow. Here in Pennsylvania, we peaked around 19, in the 1990s, from what I remember, you know, for archery numbers, number of people going the field, number of people being successful with archery equipment, and then it just declined. I mean, you, you hit a peak, you're going to have declines after that, and the numbers had steadily declined. When they introduced the crossbow in 2009, made it permanent in 2010 here in Pennsylvania, really what it did is it brought the numbers back up closer to where they had been. It did not, it, you know, people get older, they can't shoot the bow anymore, they don't have the time to spend a field, maybe they have physical limitations, what have you, and maybe there's new people who are coming into archery hunting, but those numbers simply got back up to where they were. And to really put an exclamation point on what you just said, I just read this morning in my Pennsylvania Outdoor News, it's a little newspaper I get here dedicated mostly to Pennsylvania uh, 
topics. But the Pennsylvania Game Commission just released last year's harvest numbers. They are 300, almost 375,000 deer killed by hunters last year, which is the most since 1990, I think, or something like that, they said, or most in, in, in 14 years, whatever it was, quite a while ago. It's, it's been a, so the numbers are going back up. And I think last year we had 369,000. Now we're at 375,000. So that's a lot of deer killed in Pennsylvania. You know, there, it certainly has not hurt opportunity. No, I don't know. You know, I've never hunted Pennsylvania, but hunt. I'm here in Michigan in the southern part of the state where everything's farmland. These deer, mm-hmm. you know, they populate every doe. It seems like has two fawns every year with her. Right. Uh, you you can't. The number of dead deer I see on the road is unreal. So they're <laughs> they're definitely like rodents with hooves in some places. And you have high hunter numbers, too, on top of that. And you still have high hunter success. I know in Pennsylvania, we're one of the most pressured states. I think Michigan's another one of the most pressured states in the whole country in terms of hunter pressure and the number of people out there. And you still have these high deer numbers. You still have a lot of opportunity. I, I think there's a there's a, this natural belief amongst hunters, and I can understand that to some extent, that I don't want my neighbor to be doing something that's going to interfere with my chances for success. I get that. But if people everywhere in life, not just hunting, but if everywhere in life you focus on what's going to make you more successful, don't worry about what other people are doing. Worry about what's going to make you successful. You're going to be farther ahead of the game. Right. Having spent the 14 years prior to coming back home to Michigan in Texas, where a lot of the land is high fenced, mm-hmm. obviously under a high fenced conditions, you can really manage the deer. You're going to yeah. have a very good understanding of what's going on on your property. Buck to doe ratios. Yeah. All that. Yep. Exactly. But when you come to a, a low fence environment, that's a farm area like a Michigan, probably like a Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, you notice a lot of people going, what can I do to keep the deer on my land? Because if I don't get them, my neighbor's going to shoot them. And while I might want to let them walk to go another year or two, he or she next door won't care. So they, you almost get to that, that idea of, okay, well, if my neighbor's willing to shoot them, I might as well be the first to shoot them. So everybody keeps that mentality going. And I, that's why you end up with things like, should we put antler point restrictions in? Should we put uh, buck to doe, you know, do you earn a buck options and all that other stuff to get people to, to think more management wise versus just shooting the first buck that comes along. Right, right. And I think that time, it takes time to change hunter mentalities when it comes to that sort of thing. I think experimentation by various game commissions and seeing where it goes and seeing how hunters react, seeing how harvest numbers change or don't change. All of that's important. I think I don't have a problem with antler point restrictions unless we get to the point where hunter numbers decline, where harvest numbers decline, where people are losing interest because those antler point restrictions become unachievable or where possibly the antler point restrictions are encouraging the spread of chronic wasting disease. I don't know. I mean, if those things become come to the forefront and those become issues, then we've got to dial those policies back. I can say here in Pennsylvania, trail camera wise, the antler point restrictions, I can show you between 2009 and 2019, a huge increase in the size of deer antlers. I have not personally been successful and benefited from that uh, as much as I'd like to think that I had uh, would have, but uh, I can tell you that 
between the number of pictures that I get of, of nice sized deer and the number of pictures that friends get, those deer when I in the nineteen eighties, those deer didn't exist. <laughs> they were they didn't get past two years. Yeah. So you do have antler point restrictions in your area or the whole state? The whole state has them. It varies now in my part of the state, most of the state, it's three to one side, three points to one side. In the western part of the state, as you get closer to Ohio, um, the toward Pittsburgh, that end of the state, the um, in the Allegheny region, those antler points go up to four on one side. So they have much. They have they just have historically bigger deer out there, and and their antlers develop faster. I think it has something to do with soils and stuff like that. But it's been generations of deer that have encouraged that kind of the the, the possibility that you can have antler point restrictions like that here. in, in our part, it's three to one side. Okay, well that's that's fairly healthy. That means you're going to most likely have a six point, and right. which that deer there's a high probability it would have gotten shot as a spike or even a forkhorn. Right. And so yeah, I can. I'm not against antler point restrictions. If and that's I think one of the other things is, and I hate to say this because it's going to go against a lot of what I said, where it's it's your tag, shoot what you want. Right. But at the same time, personally, if it's a if it's a buck that I don't have bigger already on the wall, I might as well let him walk and just take a doe because that's really what I'm out there to do is is knock down some venison. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you on that. And I have, you know, when I first got the crossbow, I shot a couple of younger deer, a couple of, you know, four, six point uh, bucks. And that was when I was first starting with a crossbow. And I, you know, that was going back almost 10 years ago. So that was quite a while ago. But now as that's gone on, I've become quite proficient in harvesting does. I, I, I have a lot of fun doing that. I try to express that in my videos so that people understand that success doesn't have to be that big giant buck that you hang on the wall. The way I look at it, I'm content to shoot doe after doe after doe and then occasionally get a shot at a nice big buck. That, that's I'm more than content to live my life that way and spend my hunting career that way, so to speak. I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. But to each his own, you know, I think it depends a lot on where you're at, what kind of time you have in the woods, uh, what your expectations are. And I think everybody should just have realistic expectations. But it really is more of a I think it is it's kind of like a marketplace of ideas, right? It's a marketplace. And if we'll let people sort of do what they want as long as it's legal, go out there and enjoy the woods, and we'll see where those hunting trends go. They'll, they'll naturally lead us to where, where hunters want to go with them. And I think the Game Commission's responsibility is just to make sure that it's healthy for the deer as well. Right. Now, you've actually gone out of state to Maryland to hunt, and Maryland has something very unique that you've hunted with your crossbow. Tell the folks a little bit about psycho hunting in Maryland. Right, right. And there's a variety of pronunciations for that. I don't I call them Sika deer. Or Sika. I think the folks down... Yeah, I call them Sika, but I think the folks down here call them Sitka. Or, there's a Sitka deer out west, the black-tailed deer. These are S-I-K-A. And what that is, is essentially it's a deer from Eastern, from Asia and Japan that has been brought here a hundred years ago. Somebody had them on a farm down there. Somebody had them on their estate down there in Maryland and either released them or they escaped, what have you. But they have populated the swampy areas of Maryland and they are just, uh, they're, they're really a fascinating little creature. Now they're they, they don't do well outside of marshlands, outside of these swampy areas. But in the, the area down there, it just seems like they've, they've really, really done well. They harvest, I think there are about 15,000 of them down there, estimated. Wow. And they harvest, yeah, and they harvest 4,000 or so a year. 
And they also exist in parts of Virginia and parts of Delaware, too, where you can hunt them now, too. They've, they've actually done very well for themselves. But they really aren't competing with white-tailed deer. They, they almost don't overlap. In almost very few instances, geographically, do they overlap in terms of habitat. But it does show you from a crossbow perspective, you know, we're blessed to live in this country where I can travel five hours from my home and hunt an exotic species, not in a, under a fence or anything like that. Not that I have any problem with that. But, you know, this, these are free-ranging deer that you can go down there and and buying a tag they're not even a lottery i mean you buy a tag and i people in maryland that live down here that make a, a real make this a big for, focus of their outdoor hunting probably going to be upset that i share this information but but it's the, it's the way it is i mean you go down here you can actually without a tag uh you can or without a without a lottery you can purchase a tag to shoot two hinds right which are the does and one stag which would be a buck so you can actually shoot three of them just for your hunting license it's it's and that's in addition to they're very generous um, tag limits for white-tailed deer. It's totally separate from that. It doesn't count against your white-tailed numbers, which are in the part where I hunt. I think it's like 15 does and three bucks or two bucks or something like that. But wow, I would never. But it goes back to what we were talking about with that sort of marketplace. To me, allow Pennsylvania to do what it wants to do and play with these antler point restrictions and see how it goes and and measure hunter success, measure hunter um, their happiness in terms of what Pennsylvania is doing, and let, Pencil, let Maryland do something different, and I'll go down there and experiment with that. And the day will come when I go to Texas and hunt, and I'm going to go to Ontario and hunt, and I'm going to do all these different things. And the crossbow allows you to do that, but it's important from my perspective that we just keep these opportunities open. Have you been successful on the hunts in Maryland? Very successful on whitetail. Year after year, I go down there. I think this is the eighth season or so that I've gone down there. I, when I started Death by Bungie, Pennsylvania has more restricted limits. Pennsylvania, you can shoot one buck with your general hunting license. And depending on the populations in your wildlife management unit, you get a certain number of doe tags, which is usually one or two, maybe three on a special year. So you've got limits in terms of the number of deer that you can shoot here as a Pennsylvania resident living here in Pennsylvania, if you hunt here. So one of the reasons I originally looked at Maryland was to increase my deer opportunity, go down there and, you know, and year after year, I go down there and shoot a deer. This past year, I actually was very fortunate. I shot four deer, two of which I shot in the same afternoon, which I had never done before. So I'm quite proud of that. But from a YouTube channel standpoint, like I, I try to tell people, I'm not an expert at this stuff. I'm just somebody who's trying to share what he's learned as he goes along with this crossbow journey of mine. But I thought the more opportunity that I have, the more deer I have under my belt, so to speak, the, the at least the, the better information I would have, better understanding I would have to share that with people. So that was one of the reasons I went to Maryland. And I've really gotten a lot out of it. I've made it a regular yearly trip. I go down there in the early season every year. Before Pennsylvania's season starts up, I go down there and have a just have a great time. Really nice people. It's just a, it's a nice part of the world, that's for sure. And is it public land? No, I hunt with a guide service there, a couple of different ones I've uh, hunted with over the years. And it, it's the same as I would do anywhere else if I were going to go, just the way I do things. I, I would go to Texas and hook up with an outfitter. I would go to Florida and hunt with an outfitter. That's just what I would be looking at. I, I'm pretty good with crossbows, pretty good with video equipment, not real good at uh, hunting is actually probably my weakness. You know, I would I would be 
probably disappointed if I went and just hunted public land and um, it would take me a while to get that figured out well enough to where I could be successful. <laughs> well, and I, yeah, I don't think of Maryland doesn't cross my mind as a state with large swaths of public land for hunting. Uh, I'm sure they do have some, but it's just not the, you know, it doesn't jump to mind like a, like I say, a Colorado or a, a Wyoming or, you know, places like that where there's, or even a Michigan or, or, or Pennsylvania that has the state, yeah, right. state forest. Right. They do have some, they do have some. And I, and even for those sick of deer, they do have public land down there available for that in the Delmarva area, but it's Blackwater area. If you look at those, but you know, those are going to be heavily populated by hunters, especially for those sick of deer. And I know that's a common theme amongst the folks that hunt down there that are from there, that residents down there, they don't, they don't necessarily like sharing that limited amount of public land with, with people from out of town. And I get that. That's a limited resource. But, and then you go out West, you're absolutely right. You go out West and, and public land is a, it's just a, it's all over the place really. And, and you know, there's a lot of, of public land out there and more and more is being added. And we're very fortunate to have that opportunity. I went to Arizona twice years and years ago, hunted with a crossbow with a friend of mine who was from Pennsylvania, moved out there, went out to the Tucson area and we hunted public land out there, state and federal land wandering around out there. And it's just amazing. The West is so much different from what I'm used to out here. It's completely, I spent uh, almost 10 years living in Phoenix Oh, okay. The ability to go, there's public land everywhere. And whether you were just going out to go off-roading with your four-wheel drive or take your pistol or rifle out and shoot in the desert, that's completely doable. Then I moved to Texas, and in essence, there's no public land anywhere in Texas. So there are some few spots that the state Texas Parks and Wildlife Department leases or has had turned over to them, but they're not open to hunt. Like they're not open to general hunting. You still have to put in for a draw, and if you're not drawn, you're not going. So gotcha. Okay. Uh, you're really in Texas. You're gonna pay to hunt anywhere you want to go. That's why, to me, the public lands are a really precious commodity. Friend moved from Texas to Idaho and got up there and was on about, There's you can walk out your door, drive down the street and walk into land and nobody's going to tell you to get off there and, and get lost because it's public land. You know, they said, this is cool. It is. And I do take advantage of that here when I'm hunting spring gobbler, especially. I do try to hunt our some of our local game lands when I'm out for spring gobbler there I feel like you don't have to have the same experience with it to understand deer movement or animal movement because with spring gobbler you go out you listen and then you know where you got to be you know like that that's a little bit different for me when we were out hunting in Arizona for example on on public land I really struggled with that because and if I go back out there to do that I'm going to be hooking up with an outfitter, a guide, somebody familiar with the area and where those javelina are, because that's what we were hunting. And two different years, I went out there for a week at a time, a lot of work out there. And um, that's a lot of time to spend out there and not have that, you know, not be successful. But I mean, I had great times. It's a beautiful part of the world. Totally new experience for me. Got a lot out of it. But I looked the next time, the, the javelina got to look out next time. Well, Rich, this has been really informative. You've got, you know, I'm, I'm so glad to get a chance to talk to you and, and bring some of your knowledge from the videos and the crossbow journey that you've taken to my listeners. Uh, what's a good way? Now, we haven't even touched, and I want folks to go out. You've got uh, videos on broadhead testing, on turkey hunting, all sorts of stuff on deer hunting, really good information about different websites that are helpful with crossbows. There's just so much good information and a lot of it on filming your own hunts. 
So we might have to have you back on another time to talk about filming because that's if that's a hobby of yours, I'd love to hear more about that. But what's the best way for people to, besides the Death by Bungie on YouTube and heading over to Facebook, they can contact you through any of those? Yeah, Facebook's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. I'm on my phone all day long responding to people. There are some folks that are that I speak with almost on a daily basis about the variety of hunting-related issues and crossbow hunting. And then another way, you know, then there's some folks that just contact me out of the blue with a specific question. And I have no problem speaking with people over the Facebook. Leaving comments on the Death by Bungie YouTube channel is fine, too. If you look me up on the web pages, I have a website, deathbybungie.com. And Bungie is spelled B-U-N-J-I-E. That's the, the, the spelling I've gone with, for what it's worth. But <laughs> the... That those are the best ways to contact me, I would say. And you know, if you want to get a hold of me through any of those three places, that's the way to do it. Great. And for anybody listening, I'm going to have the Death by Bungie webs dot com, the YouTube channel, the Facebook channel, all listed in the show notes. So you don't have to write anything down. Just go right to the show notes of this episode, and you'll be able to reach right out to Rich. As far as there's many manufacturers' websites that have great information about their crossbows, about hunting, about broadheads. But Rich, yours is probably one of the few sites that I've seen that takes it, combines everything, but from a, a, a new person's all through your experience, uh, it's just really a good, solid site. It's, it's one of the best ones I've seen as far as hunting videos goes. Oh, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Versus information. You, you just, they're so packed full of information. So I want to have you on again another time to talk about maybe after spring turkey season's done in Pennsylvania to talk about filming and what you've got planned for coming up. But I really appreciate your time. I, I know I've had you on for quite a while and I, I'm very appreciative of the time you've given me today. Not a problem. I really appreciate it. Like I said, this is the first podcast I've ever been on and I'm a big fan of podcasts and I really appreciate the opportunity to get the more get the word out there about death by bungee but also about crossbow hunting i hope it's been helpful and i would love to talk to you about filming too i think that's like i said it's another passion of mine another hobby of mine love to talk about that as well and and as a final note and i know i said this was end but i want to congratulate you because i noticed just a few months ago you were putting out a, a subscriber q a on hitting ten thousand subscribers and you're already up to just shy of twelve thousand. so that's some right. phenomenal growth yeah, I you know I'm 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 happy about that. I'm I feel like I'm always so surprised that people are interested in listening to me talk about anything, especially crossbows. And I think <laughs> it's it really makes me happy. We've reached nearly two million video views on YouTube, wow. which is just a phenomenal. The the idea that I've, my videos have been viewed almost two million times blows my mind. Isn't that amazing? That you know you can look out. I I see one video here that has seven hundred and fifty six views, which to me is fantastic. But in the youtube channel is on the the lower end of getting recognition yeah and i yeah. see another one that had like thirty five thousand plus views and i'm going right and i think you know in the and i've got some for sighting in a crossbow that are ninety thousand views now so wow. um, it just is a, it's amazing to me that people and, I, and people can go back to it too that's the other nice thing about it is that if you watch it once you might not get all the information you want to go through it again it's still there for you it's not going anywhere and I've taken a little bit of break off since uh, the hunting season ended this last year, but I'll be back with more content very soon. As a final thing, and then I will let you go, you did a video on choosing a new target, and the cover yeah. shot in it is on that Reinhardt 18-in-1. Yes. And I had forgotten about that target, and I went out and bought the darn thing because I was like, Oh, did you? That's that's the target I had been looking for from, you know, aim small, miss small with the crossbow. And yeah, yeah. 
I'm not comfortable shooting that target yet with my compound bow. I, I will stick with the bag target for my compound because I'm liable to need a life-size moose to shoot at for my compound to be efficient right now. But for my crossbow, that Reinhardt is an amazing target. Well, I'm glad to hear it. That's good. With that, Rich, thank you so much. You have a wonderful day, and I really appreciate the time that you've given. I really appreciate it, too. Thanks a lot. It's been great. Thanks a lot, Jason. Have a great afternoon. You, too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Come early spring, it's getting green. Fisher on the bed. Hear those turkeys gobble. Ringing in my head. The winter rides bass boat. Here comes another year. Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Oh, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Come summertime, we're feeling fine, fishing on the lake, flipping jigs in Carolina rigs, from early morning till real late. Bonfires on Creek Bank, kick back a couple beers, yeah we command the outdoors around here, yeah we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Next year's doves until you know winter's on the way. Brushing blinds and deer stands. The fever starts to creep. Fill our freezers full of ducks, lots of tender deer. Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. So grab your guns, shells, boys. Put on your camouflage. Cause we command the outdoors around here We command the outdoors